1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read the first nine verses. We're going to just have an introduction to the book today, to the first nine verses. So follow me as I read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you work so mightily by your Holy Spirit in the earliest days of your church, that, Lord Jesus, you, you caused Paul to go out and plant churches everywhere. And I thank you, Lord, that as he planted churches, Lord, he would write to these churches when they needed correction. And, Lord, that correction is so often the correction that we need. And I pray, Father, as we get into this letter, as we see, Lord, the kinds of correction that the Corinthians need, Lord, we would see ourselves. And Lord, we would be those who are quick to turn back to you and to trust you for your sufficient grace to, train, to change us and to transform us in the image of your Son. Father, please, we pray you do this. Please bless our time today in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. I want you to try to imagine yourself in at least one of these scenarios. Put yourself in one of these scenarios, you have a business partner, lifelong business partner, and that business partner fails to follow up on your largest client, and now your business is threatened to close. You have a very close friend, and you shared your, some really private, intimate struggles that you had, and that close friend went out and publicly shared them at a prayer meeting. You have a 15-year-old daughter, who's come home drunk for the third week in a row. You catch your spouse flirting with their coworker again. How do you deal with these things? In each of these kind of scenarios, you're connected to somebody, you involve someone who you're close to, someone whom you want to keep a relationship if possible. And yet they've done some kind of a wrong that has to be addressed. you got to deal with it. And it's especially difficult if the people involved in the scenario don't think they've done anything wrong. They actually don't think that they've made mistakes. How do you deal with this? Because this is the scenario, in a sense, that the Apostle Paul finds him in. He, he's, reading, he's writing to this church in Corinth that he actually years before had planted, maybe two or three years before, had started. He was there for 18 months. He, he taught in synagogues. When that went pear-shaped, he went and taught to the Gentiles. 
He saw people come to, to save, a saving knowledge of Jesus. And, and, and as he leaves, there's things that are happening that he needs to address. But there are things that are serious enough that he knows as he addresses them, people aren't going to like what he has to say. And so we come into this, this, these first nine verses of Corinthians, and here's what we see. Not just some kind of over-worded hello. Not just kind of Paul following the typical writing style that would be a Greek introduction that's there. But it's more than that. We see in these first nine verses, Paul's kind of anticipating the very things he's going to address. He's anticipating the, the places of corruption and the places of compromise that the Corinthians found themselves in. But he does so, listen, he does so with grace. He, 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 he wants to turn their eyes back to Jesus. He wants them to be in a place before he, being, he starts laying out all the issues that they need to deal with as a church. He wants them to recognize the God who saved them. So they can have confidence that that God is the God they can trust to bring the transformation that they need. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to see three things from this introduction. We're going to see first and foremost that Paul is going to help these people recall God's calling of them. How did God call them to himself? Pick it up in verse 1. Paul starts off by making it clear that these guys were called by a chosen apostle. This is going to be important. Paul says, he writes, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, we don't know tons about Sosthenes. He, he, he's probably the guy mentioned in Acts chapter 18 when, when Paul plants the church in Corinth, who, who was the ruler of the synagogue, who was beaten when things started going pear-shaped there. Apparently, if it's the same Sosthenes, he came to faith in Jesus, which is great. But we don't know much else about him. But the point that's really important to see here as Paul introduces himself is he, he reminds the Corinthians that he was called by God himself, called by Jesus himself to be an apostle. You know what an apostle is? It literally means someone who's sent. That it was Jesus who sent Paul the Jew to Corinthians the Gentiles. He did this. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 9, here's what we read about Paul's specific calling by Jesus to minister to non-Jews, Gentiles. Listen. The Lord says to Ananias, someone who, Paul, who uh, Jesus called to go talk to Paul after, uh, after Jesus had met him on the road to Damascus and blinded him. So the Lord says to Ananias, listen, go for he, that's Saul, who would eventually be called Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, this guy who's writing this, Paul, who's writing this letter, is someone who was someone who hated Christians. Paul was a, a zealous Jew. He was someone who was sure he was serving God in the right way, and he was sure that these Christians, this sect called Christianity, was a threat to Judaism. And so he made it his life's goal to eradicate Christianity. He was persecuting Christians. He was on his way to his place called Damascus with letters from the Jewish leaders so that he could persecute and even have killed Christians. And Jesus literally knocked him off his high horse and got his attention and says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And calls him not only just to follow him, but calls him to be used by him to reach Gentiles, non-Jews. And these guys, the Corinthians, would have known this story. They would have known Paul's testimony. 
And so when he says this, he said, look, remember, Jesus is the one who called me. But not just calling them to Gentiles in general, but, but Jesus called Paul, listen, he called him to minister at Corinth. We read about this in Acts chapter 16. You should have a map first. Is there a map there? And in that map, if you can see it, I don't know how good it is up there, but if you can see the map, you see the arrow. And you can, if you can kind of see it, if you get to, that's not very good, sorry. But if you get to kind of, oh gosh, you can't even read it. I'm so sorry. See where it says, uh, uh, my, my Asia or my Mesia, okay? If you were to go up where it says Bithynia, uh, Bithynia and Pontus up there, yeah? That's where Paul wanted to go. That's the Asia he's talking about in Acts chapter 16. Listen to this, okay? And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so they passed and as they, as they came up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul wants to go up to this place, Asia, to that area. And, and God says no. The Holy Spirit says no. Jesus says no. And leads him to this place of Macedonia. And Corinth is down kind of below Macedonia. Now, now again, this is why this is important. Because Paul's wanting to make sure the Corinthians know, listen, it wasn't my idea to come bring the gospel to you. It was Jesus' idea. And this is going to be really important as we go through the letter to, one, to the Corinthians, because there's going to be times when it's going to be clear that the Corinthians didn't really see Paul as a real apostle. He's kind of a semi-apostle. He's not a proper, authoritative apostle. And Paul's saying, listen, I, I just want to remind you guys, it wasn't my idea, it was God's idea to send me to you. That's what he's trying to say. And as we'll see in a minute, Corinth wasn't the easiest place to do ministry. In fact, we, we read in Acts chapter 18, we get a sense in Acts chapter 18 that Paul's kind of feeling a bit burned out by his ministry in Corinth. And here's what it says. It says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul stays there a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. See, Paul's wanting them to recognize, listen, God called me to you, and it wasn't easy for me, but the truth is it's not about me. It's about the God who sent his gospel to you. But also, look what he says in verse 2. He says, the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, Paul often started his letters to different churches in the same way. The church that's in Ephesus, or the churches that are in Galatia, so on and so forth. But it's interesting here. Because what we know about Corinth is pretty, it's pretty dire. You, you could say, in fact, one, one, uh, one commentator talked about, well, I'll paraphrase. He basically said Corinth was like London and Las Vegas put together. You get this kind of wealth and this kind of desire for money and for freedom like you might get into London. And you get this debauchery and this carnality that you would see maybe in a place like Vegas. In fact, 
to, there, there was a, they coined a phrase to Corinthianize, which basically means to fornicate. And in fact, there, often when Corinthians, uh, the, the people Corinthians were shown, if a person of Corinth was shown in a play, a big public play, that Corinthian was always drunk. It was that kind of a place. Not really that different than most port cities in that day, but they're in a place where it was really, really carnal. Now, this is important because Corinth is a place where this church is, this, this group of people called out or gathered together. That's what church means. They're in Corinth. That's where they are. That's where they, they came to know the Lord. That's where they're meant to minister. But culturally, they're called out also of Corinth. And we're going to see this. Because one of the things that happened in Corinth that we're going to see a parallel for us in the Western church is that the culture began to influence the church more than the church influenced the culture. See, here's the, here's the reality. Corinth, we'll see this especially next week when we start talking about what they saw as wisdom versus what God says is wisdom. What Corinth did was they began to believe, okay, who we are as Corinthians is a more important identity than who we are in Christ, but it's not. It's not. It's who we are in Christ. It's more important than any other way we're tempted to identify ourselves. It's not about where you live, but about how you live and who you live for that identifies you. So he says, to the church in Corinth, the called out of God that are in Corinth. He says, verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about grace in a minute. But I want you to notice what Paul's saying here. As Paul addresses these people, as Paul identifies these believers in Corinth, he specifically identifies as those who are both sanctified in Christ, set apart in Christ, past tense, but also those who are called to be saints, present tense, together with everybody else in the whole world who names the name of Jesus. Why is this important? It's important because part of their calling is not just that they were called by a chosen apostle, whether they liked him or not, not just the fact that, that they're called to be holy in a very worldly culture, but listen, they're called under the lordship of Christ. And this is so important for us. This is what identifies us as Jesus' followers. We follow him. We obey him. We recognize his authority. That's what we do. Now, if you're still kind of investigating Christianity, if you're still kind of thinking about all, what all this Jesus stuff means, you need to understand something. We're going to read this later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The, the Apostle Paul will write, here's how you know the Spirit of God is working in you. Because no one says Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean to utter the words Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say that and not mean it. It's the idea that you know in your heart of hearts, Jesus rules. Not me, not anybody else. He rules. He is Lord. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I, I wanted to remind you, this is, this is who you are. We're going to see again more about this next week. In fact, listen, to, I'll give you kind of sneak preview. Listen to verses 30 and 31 of, of 1 Corinthians 1, where, where Paul says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one boast, let, no, let, let the one, I'm sorry, who boasts, boasts in the Lord. 
we're, we're calling this series in 1 Corinthians the, the wisdom of Christ in a worldly culture because we're going to see not only the worldliness that creeped into the wilderness of the culture that creeped into the church in Corinth, but we're going to see our own, our own worldliness creeps in, and we're going to see that the answer to that is understanding what the wisdom of Christ actually is. And we're really going to unpack that next week. What is the wisdom of Christ? Because Christ becomes for us the very wisdom of God. So Paul wants to remind them, listen, this is how you were called. This is how you came to faith in the first place. But now also he wants to them to, he wants to now recognize God's grace in them. And this is the part that really kind of got me excited about this introduction. Because as we go through 1 Corinthians, man, we're going to see Paul sometimes has to use sarcasm. Sometimes he uses hyperbole, which is exaggeration for effect. Sometimes he's very, very just pointed at them. Sometimes he has to threaten them. He has to be super clear with these people who don't even recognize how carnal they actually are. But here, he wants to say, listen, I, I want you to know, I want to start this off by saying, I see God's grace in you. Look at verse 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Grace. Now, the, the word grace, it's, he uses it as an introduction, grace to you. Uh, we see it here again, verse 4, grace. This, this word grace, uh, it, it means sort of beauty or attractiveness. That's what the word kind of literally means. But it's used as a, as a it was used kind of as a greeting, a Greek greeting uh, to people. So grace to you, you know, as, as, as Hebrews would say, peace to you. The Greeks would say grace to you. So it is that. But the word itself is packed full of really important, deep, heavy truth. In fact, the way Paul uses the word grace in different areas of Scripture gives us an idea of what he means here when he says, because of the grace that's given to you in Christ Jesus. In fact, there's two ways, listen, to define the idea of grace, the theological idea of grace. One is this. We define it as unmerited favor. To have grace is to have favor. It's the idea that someone looks at you and they go, That's my, you're my favorite. You're the one that I, I want to bless. You're the one that I'm after. But when we talk about the grace of God, it's an unmerited favor. That God doesn't look at us and he says, wow, you're so worthy of my grace. No. He says, he looks at us and he goes, man, you are so needy of my grace. You desperately need the favor that I have for you. This unmerited favor favor. But also, listen, it's a divine enabling. We're going to see this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul will say that he did more work than any of the apostles, but not him, but the grace of God in him. We'll talk about that later. It's a divine enabling. But Paul here starts by saying, I give thanks to God for this grace, because the grace comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. L listen to this in John chapter 1. It says this, John wrote, Jesus is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. See, Paul's going to challenge the Corinthians in some pretty heavy ways. We're going to be challenged by this letter in some pretty heavy ways, and we're going to have to lean back on the grace of God. God, we still need your favor. We've really blown it. We need your favor. And God, we need to change. We really need your grace. We, we really need that, that transforming grace, that divine enabling to be different than we are. God, we really need your grace. 
Paul's starting this way because he knows how much these people are going to need it. In fact, it's important that we see this. Grace is both these things. It's both unmerited favor and divine enabling. Unmerited favor. Listen, the Bible says, and, and Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter, or uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, he would say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, it's unmerited. It's not about what you've done to earn it. But also, again, 1 Corinthians, I alluded to earlier, by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's both, unmerited favor and divine enabling. Paul's saying, I recognize this in your life right now. He's saying this to him because he's going to have to call them to trust the grace of God to change them. Look at verse 5. Paul says, I thank God for the grace given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now look at the first part of chapter, verse 7. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The word for gift there is where we get the English word charismatic. It's charismata, okay? It's where we get the, the English word charismatic. It's, it's this idea of God giving us a supernatural enabling, an ability to do something. Now, probably nowhere else in the New Testament do we have a thorough explanation of how the charismatic gifts work than we do in 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to look at the stuff in depth from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. We're going to see what Paul says about this charismata. How does the Holy Spirit distribute his gifts? How do those things work? But here it's really important to recognize what he's saying in the beginning. Because though Paul's going to have to correct them later on in some of the ways they got these things wrong, he's wanting to, to, to them to recognize right now, I recognize right now God's grace in you in that you don't fall short at any gift. He specifically mentions knowledge and um, uh, he says, all, all knowledge and all, oh, I just lost my, my place, where am I? <laughs> all knowledge and all speech, thank you very much. He talks about those two things. In other words, these Corinthians, and we'll see why, they really valued the, the, the speaking kind of gifts. And, and so much so that, that they wanted to push those things ahead, and, and those things were important. We'll see, Paul will say those things are important. And so he's saying, listen, I see the gift of grace in your life. In fact, interesting, the word for grace is charis, and the word for the gifts of grace, charismata. In other words, they're expressions of God's grace. In other words, listen, these enriching abilities are intended to demonstrate the grace that comes with Jesus. And this is why they go pear-shaped. This is why we struggle sometimes as charismatics, we are a church that's charismatic, we struggle with it sometimes because we forget this is not about me having a spiritual experience. This is about Jesus being seen. Now, look at verse 6. He says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Paul saying, man, I see the grace of God in you. I see how it's enriching your abilities to demonstrate Jesus. And I see how it's, verse 6, confirming your faith in Jesus. The work that God's doing as you serve one another confirms the grace that he's given you. 
God's confirming it. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand from this. Paul's not saying, you guys are so bad, Corinthians, that really you've got to start over again. You're so bad. What he's saying to them is, listen, there's some heavy things we've got to talk about. But I want to talk to you about these things based on the fact that God has begun to work in you by His grace, and God will finish this work in you by His grace. That's what He's going to do. In fact, this is what Paul gets at in this last section. Go back to verse 7 again. He says, so that you are not lacking any gift. Notice he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, listen, listen I, I see the evidence of God's grace in you, God's working in you, that the, the gifts are, are manifest in your presence. He says, and here's what I'm sure of. I'm confident that God's going to bring you all the, all the way to the end and he's going to present you guiltless, completely pure. Now, this is important to think about, especially as we get into some of the issues that Paul has to address in the Corinthian church. There were people, there was a man in the Corinthian church that was having an affair with his stepmother. There were people in the Corinthian church that were suing each other. There were people in the Corinthian church that were coming to a communion service so they could get drunk. And Paul says, I'm confident that God's begun to work in you and he will get you to the end. That is not an excuse to do whatever you want. It's just the opposite. It's the call to change. See, Paul's relying not on their faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness to them. He's going to challenge them and correct them because he's, he's convinced God's going to be faithful to them. In fact, we're going to see this. It's interesting that he says this, that basically when the Lord Jesus comes back, that's the idea of the revealing of our Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus comes back, he's going to then present the church to the Father as guiltless, as perfect. And what's really interesting about this is we get to 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul talks about the resurrection, when Paul, Paul talks about that end time. These people were struggling to believe there even was a future resurrection. And yet Paul says, I'm confident God's going to get you there. You have to see how important this is, people. Because if we don't understand this is the place we're starting from, we will not receive the, the correction that we need. We will not learn to be a church that is soundly full of God's Spirit and about making much of God's Son. Now look at uh, verse 9. In the latter part of verse 9, I'll, I'll just read the whole verse, we'll come back to it. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul is going to rely on God's faithfulness, not just because he's sure that God's going to make them guiltless through Christ at the end, but also, listen, because God's already brought them into God's family. The, the word for fellowship there, it means that we, it has the idea that we are sharing the same benefits that Jesus shared. Jesus had this, has this unique relationship with the Father from eternity past. God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit. Unique relationship from eternity past, right? And through the work of Jesus, we're brought into this unique relationship. We are clothed in Christ and we have the privilege of enjoying the benefit of His unique relationship. That's the idea of fellowship. 
It's not just having a nice chat over coffee. It's recognizing that we share eternal life together. And we share that eternal life. Why? Because Christ purchased it for us by his own blood. In fact, this is what the Bible says. But to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That's how faithful he is to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that your relationship with God is based solely on the work of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that you're a son or daughter of God based solely by your faith in Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Bible teaches. And if you don't start there, you're not going to take the correction that you need. You're not going to see the change. In fact, in the beginning of verse 9, when he says, God is faithful. He's not saying that God's faithful in the sense that he always responds the right way, though he does. He's saying that God's faithfulness is who he is. Faithfulness is not just his response to our unfaithfulness. Faithfulness is his character. And God cannot change. Do you get that? Now, right now, some of you guys are going, man, John, I don't, I'm feeling uncomfortable. You're, you're, I know that God's really harsh to the Corinthians. He even tells them, th those who practice such things don't inherit the kingdom of God. And you're acting like they're all eternally secure. How does that work? It works because this is what Paul's actually saying. This is how Paul's starting this letter on purpose. Because he, he gonna, he's going to have to deal with them in a really serious way. And they got to recognize, okay, listen, God doesn't change. Because they don't believe God doesn't change, they're not going to believe they can change. Paul says this, or, I'm sorry, not Paul. Malachi says this. In Malachi 3.6, he says, God speaks to Malachi saying, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. How come, how come the children of, of Jacob, how come the Israelites weren't absolutely just destroyed because God doesn't change. He's always faithful. That's why. In fact, this is the thing we need to see. Faithful fathers always discipline their children. Corinthians is tough. Because even though there's a lot of great things about how great our God is, there's a lot of hard things for us to see. In fact, one of the things that's tricky about teaching Corinthians is Sometimes the stuff seems so obvious and so practical, you can kind of skip what's actually going on in, in Corinth and try to like quickly make an application. And often I've heard people teach Corinthians and they make the application to those that are outside. Look at how the culture outside is. But actually Corinthians is written to believers saying this is how you need to change. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He, he, he equates himself as the apostle, as the one who began this church. He says this. He says, you, for though you've had countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in, the, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's saying, listen, I'm going to chase you like a father because I am, in a sense, a spiritual father to you. But you know what the Bible says even more important? And this, to me, is a crucial issue. In fact, I see this as the thing that is so important for us as Christians to understand, especially those of us who know that if, if we can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, how, how do we know we still belong to him when we still keep failing over and over again? This is how, listen, the author of Hebrews says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens every son whom he receives. As we go through 1 Corinthians, 
And we recognize where we failed to trust the wisdom of Christ. And we recognize where we've let the same kind of worldliness that the Corinthians have let creep in. We've let that creep in. As we see these things, we're going to have to remember the grace of God. And the fact that he loves us so much that he does not let us stay where we are. He doesn't let us stay where we are. He deals with us. He corrects us as a father corrects their child. So the issues that Paul needs to confront the Corinthians are, are as serious as the loss of a business or a broken confidence or a drunken teenager or even a flirtatious spouse. They're just as serious as any of those things. And he's going to, he's going to confront those issues. He's not going to let the Corinthians get away with things that will threaten what God has for them. He won't let them do it. But he's going to do it, listen, with a heart that reflects the heart of God that is committed to see God's people transformed by God's Spirit for the benefit of a city that needs to know God's gospel. This is what he's going to do. My prayer for us through 1 Corinthians is that we get through this letter going, Lord, do this in us. Correct us, transform us, fill us afresh with your spirit so that we can demonstrate how good you are to a city that needs to be saved. Amen? Father, I pray that as you continue to do your work through your word, that you would help us, Lord, to believe, to believe, Lord, that you are for us. That, Lord, that, that it's your commitment to us that brings that chastening. That you love us too much to let us treat each other badly or to get the gospel wrong or to fail to believe what we need to believe or to fail to, to walk in love. Lord, you love us too much to let us settle for something less than the wisdom of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you'd use this letter so that we would see what the wisdom of Christ is, and we would see what it means to follow you in the midst of a worldly culture. And I pray that anyone who doesn't know you would see the difference between what it means to follow you and what it means to be just stuck in this worldly culture. That you would not just transform us who are believers, but Lord, you would save people even through this. Please, we pray. Thank you that we can trust you to do this. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone agrees, says, amen. Amen. God bless you.